0: Chapter thirty one of the Lamplighter This Librivox recording is in the public domain recording by Bridget Gage The Lamplighter by Maria Susanna Cummins Chapter thirty one Sporting at Will and Molding Sport to Art, with that sad holiness, the human heart New Timon And now days and even weeks passed on, and no marked event took place in Mr Graham's household. The weather became intensely warm, and no more walks and drives were planned. The lieutenant left the neighboring city, which was at this season nearly deserted by the friends of Mrs. Graham and her nieces, and Isabel, who could neither endure with patience excessive heat or want of society, grew more irritable and fretful than ever. To Kitty, however, these summer days were fraught with interest. Mr. Bruce remained in the neighborhood, visited constantly at the house, and exercised a marked influence upon her outward demeanor and her inward happiness which were changeable and fluctuating, as his attentions were freely bestowed, or altogether suspended. No wonder the poor girl was puzzled to understand one whose conduct was certainly inexplicable to any but those initiated into his motives. Believing, as he did, that Gertrude would in time show a disposition to win him back, he was anxious only to carry his addresses to Kitty, to such a point as would excite a serious alarm in the mind of the poor protégé of the Grams, who dared to slight his proffered advances." Acting then as he did almost wholly with reference to Gertrude, it was only in her presence, or under such circumstances, that he was sure it would reach her ears, that he manifested a marked interest in Kitty. And his behavior was, therefore, in the highest degree unequal, leading the warm-hearted Kitty to believe one moment that he felt for her almost the tenderness of a lover, and the next to suffer under the apprehension of having unconsciously wounded or offended him by her careless gaiety or conversation. Unfortunately, too, Mrs. Graham took every opportunity to tease and congratulate her upon her conquest, thereby increasing the simple girl's confidence in the sincerity of Mr. Bruce's admiration. Nor were Mr. Bruce and Kitty the only persons who found occasion for vexation and anxiety in this matter. Gertrude, whose eyes were soon opened to the existing state of things, was filled with regret and apprehension on account of Kitty. For whose peace and welfare she felt a tender and affectionate concern. The suspicions to which Mr. Bruce's conduct gave rise during the scenes which have been detailed were soon strengthened into convictions, for on several occasions after he had been offering Kitty ostentatious proofs of devotion he thought proper to test their effect upon Gertrude by the tender of some attention to herself, more than intimating, at the same time, that she had it in her power to rob Kitty of all claim upon his favor. Gertrude availed herself of every opportunity to acquaint him with the truth, that he could not possibly render himself more odious in her eyes than by the use of such mean attempts to mortify her. But attributing her warmth to the very feeling of jealousy which he desired to excite, the selfish young man persevered in his course of folly and wickedness. As he only proffered his attentions, and made no offer of his heart and hand, Gertrude did not in the least trust his professions towards herself, considering them merely as intended, if possible, to move her from her firm and consistent course of behavior, in order to gratify his self-love. But she saw plainly that, however light and vain his motives might be in her own case, they were still more so with reference to Kitty. And she was deeply grieved at the evident unconsciousness of this fact, which the simple girl constantly exhibited— For, strangely enough, Kitty, having quite forgotten that she had a few weeks back, looked upon Gertrude as a rival, now chose her for her bosom friend and confidant. Her aunt was too coarse and rough, Belle too selfish and vain, to be entrusted with little matters of the heart. And though Kitty had no idea of confessing her partiality for Mr. Bruce, the transparency of her character was such that she betrayed her secret to Gertrude, without being in the least aware that she had done so though no one but Gertie appeared to observe it. Kitty was wonderfully changed. The gay, laughing, careless Kitty had now her fits of musing. Her sunny face was subject to clouds that flitted across it and robbed it of all its brightness. Now her spirits were unnaturally free and lively, and now she wore a pensive expression, and stealthily lifting her eyes, fixed them anxiously on the face of Mr. Bruce, as if studying his temper or his sentiments. If she saw Gertrude walking in the garden, or sitting alone in her room, she would approach, throw her arm round her, lean against her shoulder, and talk on her favourite topic. She would relate, with a mixture of simplicity and folly, the complimentary speeches and polite attentions of Mr. Bruce, talk about him for an hour, and question Gertrude as to her opinion of his merits, and the sincerity of his avowed admiration for herself. She would intimate her perception of some fault possessed by him, who was in her eyes almost perfection. And when Gertrude coincided with her, and expressed regret at the evident failing, she would exhaust a great amount of strength and ingenuity in her efforts to prove that they were both mistaken in attributing it to him, and that, if he had a fault, it was in reality quite the reverse. She would ask if Gertrude really supposed he meant all he said, and add that of course she didn't believe he did, it was all nonsense." and if Gertrude embraced the opportunity to avow the same opinion, and declared that it was not best to trust all his high-flown flatteries, poor Kitty's face would fall, and she would proceed to give her reasons for sometimes thinking he was sincere. He had such a truthful, earnest way of speaking. It was no use to throw out hints, or try to establish safeguards. Kitty was completely infatuated. At last Mr. Bruce thought proper to try Gertrude's firmness by offering to her acceptance a rich ring— Not a little surprised at his presumption, she declined it, without hesitation or ceremony. And the next day saw it on the finger of Kitty, who was eager to give an account of its presentation. "'And did you accept it?' asked Gertrude, with such a look of astonishment, that Kitty observed it, and evaded an acknowledgment of having done so, by saying, with a blushing countenance, that she agreed to wear it a little while. "'I wouldn't,' said Gertrude. "'Why not?' "'because, in the first place, I do not think it is in good taste to receive rich gifts from gentlemen. "'And then, again, if strangers notice it, you may be subjected to unpleasant, significant remarks.' "'What would you do with it?' asked Kitty. "'I should give it back.' "'Kitty looked very undecided, but on reflection concluded to offer it to Mr. Bruce, "'and tell him what Gertrude said.' She did so, and that gentleman, little appreciating Gertrude's motives, and believing her only desirous of making difficulty between him and Kitty, jumped at the conclusion that her heart was won at last, and that his triumph would now be complete. He was disappointed, therefore, when, on his next meeting with her, she treated him, as she had invariably done of late, with cool civility. Indeed, it seemed to him that she was more insensible than ever to his attractions, and hastily quitting the house— Much to the distress of Kitty, who spent the rest of the day in thinking over everything she had done and said, which could by any possibility have given offence, he sought his old haunt under the pear-tree, and gave himself up to the consideration of a weighty question. Seldom did Ben Bruce feel called upon to take serious views of any subject. Seldom was he accustomed to rally and marshal the powers of his mind, and deliberately weigh the two sides of an argument. Living as he did— with no higher aim than the promoting of his own selfish gratification, he had been wont to avail himself of every opportunity for amusement and indulgence, and even to bring mean and petty artifice to the furtherance of his plans. Possessed as he was, notwithstanding his narrow mind, with what is often called a good lookout, he was rarely cheated or defrauded of his rights. He knew the value of his money and position in life, and never suffered himself to be sacrificed to the designs of those who hoped to reap a benefit from his companionship self-sacrifice too was a thing of which he had no experience and with which as seen in others he felt no sympathy now however a crisis had arrived when his own interests and wishes clashed when necessity demanded that one should be immolated at the shrine of the other and a choice must be made between the two it was certainly a matter which claimed deep deliberation and if Ben Bruce, for the first time in his life, devoted a whole afternoon to careful thought, and an accurate measurement of opposing forces, the occurrence must be attributed to the fact that he was making up his mind on the most important question that ever yet had agitated it. Shall I, thought he, conclude to marry this poor girl shall i who am master of a handsome fortune and have additional expectations forego the prospect they afford me of making a brilliant alliance and condescend to share my wealth and station in society with this adopted child of the Grams, who in spite of her poverty will not grant me a smile even except at the price of all my possessions if she were one atom less charming i would disappoint her after all i wonder how she'd feel if i should marry kitty i dare say i should never have the satisfaction of knowing FOR SHE'S SO PROUD THAT SHE WOULD COME TO MY WEDDING, FOR uh, I KNOW, BEND HER SLENDER NECK AS GRACEFULLY AS EVER, AND SAY, GOOD EVENING, MR. BRUCE, AS POLITELY AND CALMLY AS SHE DOES NOW, EVERY TIME I GO TO THE HOUSE. IT PROVOKES ME TO SEE HOW A POOR GIRL LIKE THAT CARRIES HERSELF. BUT AS Missus BRUCE, I SHOULD BE PROUD OF THAT MANNER, CERTAINLY. I WONDER HOW I EVER GOT IN LOVE WITH HER. I'M SURE I DON'T KNOW. SHE ISN'T HANDSOME. AT LEAST MOTHER THINKS SHE ISN'T. AND SO DOES BELL CLINTON. But then again, Lieutenant Osborne noticed her the minute she came into the room, and there's Fan raves about her beauty. I don't know what I think myself. I believe she's bewitched me, so that I'm not capable of judging. But if it isn't beauty, it is because it's something more than mere good looks. Thus he soliloquized, and as every time he revolved the subject, he commenced by dwelling upon the immense sacrifice he was making, and ended with reflections upon Gertrude's charms it may well be supposed that he ultimately came to the conclusion that he should suffer less by laying his fortune at her feet than by the endeavour to enjoy the fortune without her for a few days after he arrived at the resolve on this point he had no opportunity to address a word to gertrude who was now doubly anxious to avoid him and spent nearly the whole day above stairs except when at emily's request she accompanied her for a short time into the parlour and even then she took pains, under some pretext or other, to remain close by the side of her blind friend. About this time Mrs. Graham and Mrs. Bruce, with their families, received cards for a levee to be held at the house of an acquaintance nearly five miles' distance. It was on the occasion of the marriage of a schoolmate of Isabel's, and both she and Kitty were desirous to be present. Mrs. Bruce, who had a close carriage, invited both the cousins to accompany her, and as Mr. Graham's carry when closed, would only accommodate himself and the lady, the proposal was gladly acceded to. The prospect of a gay assembly, and an opportunity for display, revived Isabel's drooping spirits and energy. Her rich evening dresses were brought out, for the selection of the most suitable and becoming. And as she stood before the mirror, and tried on first one wreath and then another, and looked so beautiful in each, that it was difficult to make a choice— Kitty, who stood by, eagerly endeavouring to win her attention, and obtain her advice concerning the style and colour most desirable for herself, gave up in despair, and ran off to consult Gertrude. She found her reading in her own room, but on Kitty's abrupt entrance she laid down her book, and gave her undivided attention to the subject which was under discussion. "'Gertrude,' said Kitty, "'what shall I wear this evening? I've been trying to get Belle to tell me, but she never will speak a word, or hear what I ask her, when she's thinking about her own dress. I declare she's dreadfully selfish.' "'Who advises her?' asked Gertrude. "'Oh, nobody. She always decides for herself. But then she has so much taste, and I haven't the least in the world. So do tell me, Gertrude, what had I better wear tonight? "'I'm the last person you should ask, Kitty. I never went to a fashionable party in my life.' "'That doesn't make any difference. I'm sure if you did go, you'd look better than any of us. And I'm not afraid to trust to your opinion. For I never in my life saw you wear anything that didn't look genteel. Even your gingham morning gown has a sort of stylish air. Stop, stop, Kitty. You are going too far. You must keep within bounds, if you want me to believe you.' "'Well, then,' said Kitty, "'to say nothing of yourself. For I know you're superior to flattery, Gertrude. Somebody told me so. Who furnishes Miss Emily's wardrobe?' "'Who selects her dresses?' "'I have done so lately, but—' "'I thought so, I thought so,' interrupted Kitty. "'I knew poor Miss Emily was indebted to you for always looking so nice and beautiful.' "'No, indeed, Kitty, you are mistaken. "'I have never seen Emily better dressed than she was the first time I met her. "'And her beauty is not borrowed from art. "'It is all her own. "'Oh, I know she is lovely, and everybody admires her.' But no one can suppose she would take pains to wear such pretty things, and put them on so gracefully, just to please herself. It is not done merely to please herself. It was to please her father that Emily first made the exertion to dress with taste as well as neatness. I have heard that, for some time after she lost her eyesight, she was disposed to be very careless. But having accidentally discovered that it was an additional cause of sorrow to him, she roused herself at once and with Mrs. Ellis's assistance, contrived always afterwards to please him in that particular. "'But you observe, Kitty, she never wears anything showy or conspicuous.' "'No, indeed, that is what I like. But, Gertrude, hasn't she always been blind?' "'No, until she was sixteen she had beautiful eyes, and could see as well as you can.' "'What happened to her? How did she lose them?' "'I don't know.' "'Didn't you ever ask?' "'No.' "'Why not? How queer?' I heard that she didn't like to speak of it. But she would have told you she half-worships you. If she had wished me to know, she would have told without my asking. Kitty stared at Gertrude, wondering much at such unusual delicacy and consideration, and instinctively admiring a forbearance of which she was conscious she should herself have been incapable. "'But your dress,' said Gertrude, smiling at Kitty's abstraction. "'Oh, yes, I had almost forgotten what I came here for,' said Kitty." what shall it be then thick or thin pink blue or white what has isabel decided upon blue a rich blue silk that is her favorite color always but it doesn't become me no i should think not said gertrude but come kitty we will go to your room and see the dresses and i will give my opinion kitty's wardrobe having been inspected and gertrude having expressed her preference for thin and flowing material especially in the summer season a delicate white crepe was fixed upon. And now there was a new difficulty. Among all her headdresses, none proved satisfactory. All were more or less defaced, and none of them to be compared with the new and exquisite wreath which Isabel was arranging among her curls. "'I cannot wear any of them,' said Kitty. "'They look so mean by the side of Isabel's.' "'But—oh!' exclaimed she, glancing at a box which lay on the dressing-table. "'These are just what I should like—' "'Oh, Isabel, where did you get these beautiful carnations?' And she took up some flowers, which were, indeed, a rare imitation of nature, and, displaying them to Gertrude, added that they were just what she wanted. "'Oh, Kitty,' said Isabel, angrily, turning away from the glass, and observing what her cousin had in her hand, "'don't touch my flowers, you will spoil them.' And snatching them from her, she replaced them in the box." opened a drawer in her bureau, and, having deposited them there, took the precaution to lock them up and put the key in her pocket— an action which Gertrude witnessed with astonishment, not unmingled with indignation. "'Kitty,' said she, "'I will arrange a wreath of natural flowers for you, if you wish.' "'Will you, Gertrude?' said the disappointed and provoked Kitty. "'Oh, that will be delightful. I should like it, of all things.' "'And, Isabel, you cross old miser, you can keep all your wreaths to yourself.' it is a pity you can't wear two at a time true to her promise gertrude prepared a head-dress for kitty and so tastefully did she mingle the choicest productions of the garden that when isabel saw her cousin arrayed under a more careful and affectionate superintendence than she often enjoyed she felt notwithstanding her own proud consciousness of superior beauty a sharp pang of jealousy of kitty and dislike to gertrude It had been no small source of annoyance to Isabel, who could not endure to be outshone, that Kitty had of late been the object of marked attention to Mr. Bruce, while she herself had been entirely overlooked. Not that she felt any partiality for the gentleman whom Kitty was so anxious to please, but the dignity conferred on her cousin by his admiration, the interest the affair awakened in her aunt, and the meaning looks of Mrs. Bruce— All made her feel herself of second-rate importance, and rendered her more eager than ever to supplant, in general society, the comparatively unpretending Kitty. Therefore, when Mrs. Graham complimented the latter on her unusually attractive appearance, and declared that somebody would this night be more charmed than ever, Isabel curled her lip with mingled disdain and defiance, while the blushing Kitty turned to Gertrude, and whispered in her ear, "'Mr. Bruce likes white.' He said so the other day, when you passed through the room dressed in your mauled muslin. End of chapter 31